but we are lucky to have two very progressive regulators which is state bank of pakistan and the secp both of them are constantly coming up with enabling regulations which are assisting startups whether it's a fintech startup and the ccp now is a regulatory sandbox they're talking about a digital insurance company license they're talking about potentially equity crowdfunding which we've been asking for a very long time so those things are starting so i'm very very you know i've invested everything in pakistan hello and welcome to another episode of pakistanomy we've talked about economic progress uh, and critic uh, critical issues related to promoting economic progress in pakistan from a structural reforms perspective but there's a lot of research in pakistan around the world that when you promote access to finance and promote financial inclusion writ large in society not only do you promote the well-being of households but you generate greater economic growth more sustainable economic growth and economic growth at least to formalization of the economy which is great for a country like pakistan where a large chunk of our economic activity is still uh, informal in nature so to talk about this topic and how financial inclusion finance uh, growing financial technologies and overall policy landscape and how it's changing in pakistan i have with me mr nadeem hussain nadeem hussain saab is the founder and ceo and president of tamir microfinance bank which is pakistan's first private sector microfinance bank and is a world leader in branchless banking um his bank has reached out to over 10 million uh, people in pakistan and extended credit to them and mobile banking services so he understands this sector and understands the importance of this sector in terms of promoting financial inclusion so nadeem sir welcome to pakistanomy thank you very much i want to start with this issue that so i always yes go ahead clarification uh, i am i was the founder of tamir microfinance bank but i sold the bank close to 4 years ago so i am no longer the president and ceo of tamir bank however after exiting from tamir bank i created planet n Planet is a whole core that invests in tech disruptive companies, and now we have 26 companies under the Planet N umbrella. Thank you, thank you for that clarification, Adim Sab. And so I want to begin with sort of my question that I have uh, in terms of where Pakistan's financial space is right now and the industry is right now. One of the critical things around the world we see is that a digital ID program is the building block of a digital payments and a fintech ecosystem. And Pakistan was a first mover when General Musharraf was ruling the country. Nadra came up with the ID program, and it was a case study of success around the world. Nadra exported its model to expo- uh, African countries as well. India, meanwhile, was a slow mover with the Aadhaar program and was, in a way, almost a decade behind. but today when i look at the digital payments and fintech ecosystem india is far far ahead even though it was a slow mover in digital id and pakistan is now lagging so from your experience and given that you're so deeply uh, intertwined with this ecosystem why is it that pakistan's ecosystem sort of has lagged behind even though it had the building blocks uh, much much earlier than a country like india so the national or what i call the universal identifier is one of the blocks of the enabling environment it's not the only block but it is a critical block and it is true we started well before india's aadhaar card and actually initially the fintech 
led revolution in terms of payments which was driven by easy pesa and then by jazz and then by some of the commercial banks benefited hugely from the nadra database because it, what we were able to do initially was obviously have a very robust kyc because we were able to access the nadra database real time online but more importantly we convinced the central bank that if if you as you know that all phones people who hold a sim card are biometrically verified and as a consequence we went to the state bank and said listen we have biometric verification of the sim card holder and we can get nadra verification real time online and as a consequence if you set certain transaction limits we will not require a physical visit to the customer to come to the bank and therefore the level 0 account came into play and the 50 million wallets we have right now which is equal to the amount of bank accounts that the commercial banks were able to create since the inception of pakistan came as came about as a result of the nadra database so we benefited hugely from nadra database initially by those entities which had telco data as well which were the two telco owned microfinance banks and subsequently obviously commercial banks which already had access to nadra database but india did two things which pakistan did not india's aadhar card is on a piece of cardboard and therefore the price of somebody getting an aadhar card is like 100th of what a computerized national identity card with nadra provides another ambition was that this chip it has inside the card would hold a host of other information which would be resulting subsequently in pakistan tax like the india tax so the vision was outstanding right from day one but the execution lagged behind significantly so aadhar card based on the cardboard but which also is biometrically verified is the cost is a piece of cardboard while the nadra cnic card is 150 rupees and if you want in emergency 500 rupees so people will only convert to the cnic as opposed to the nic when the nic expires they're not you know encouraged to move to the cnic and therefore they're not biometrically verified so a lot of the people who are the nic just have a photograph and you can get a photo verification not a biometric verification secondly aadhar views itself as a national utility it's an enabler it's not a profit center nadra views itself as a pnl private limited company which is although providing a service but must recover its cost therefore the cost of nadra verification ranges from 8 rupees offline to 75 rupees per transaction mm-hmm. and therefore many startups or many entities which want to use it are unable to do so because of the associated cost so one the conversion rate from cnic to from nic to cnic is slow people don't do it unless they absolutely have to because of the cost that's required two nadra's view that it's a profit center and you know as opposed to a utility also causes you know the amount of con- access to nadra is limited thirdly nadra only allows regulated entities to access its database on the offline or cheaper 
verification process. If you are a, if you and I want to access a Nadra database right now, we'll have to pay 75 rupees a pop, which basically kills the underlying transaction. Mm. If I'm a payment facilitator, but I'm not regulated by the state bank, I can't go to Nadra. If I mean, if I'm an SCCP regulated entity, Nadra then imposes, if, if my data is on cloud, Nadra won't allow me to access that data. So Nadra has a whole set of requirements to mm. preserve the identity theft taking place or hacking taking place. Unlike India, which has created security measures, but any entity doesn't have to be a regulated entity can get access to the Aadhaar database at a fraction of the cost. So this is the reason why we started off well before India, the fintech ecosystem is not able to fully utilize the benefits of the CNIC. That's very fascinating because, um, you know, I think from a, when I look at the Aadhaar program, for example, in India, it's not only just fintech, right? You have soil health cards, for example, of farmers that are linked to their Aadhaar database where fertilizer subsidies are handed out to them, where they can go and get their land parcel verified and know the status of their soil so that they are in real time told from the fertilizer business uh, at the corner of their village, how much fertilizer they need and what they need to invest in, et cetera. So from what I'm hearing from you is that that is not there in the Nadra ecosystem. And obviously the execution has not been, the idea was there, but the execution of that has not been there. From a perspective of where we are today, is there a recognition that things need to change and maybe some lessons need to be learned from the example of an India or other countries that you know, maybe Nadra has to alter its uh, operating model to further catalyze this type of change, or is this still a slow moving process from your perspective? Well, Central Bank has tried several times in various forum to get to get Nadra. My view is Nadra verification cost should be one rupee a pop. It's a utility. You want financial inclusion. This is a railroad, but Nadra's view is very clear and Nadra is owned by the Ministry of Interior and it has its own board, that we are a profit center, that these banks make a ton of money, and therefore they should be able to pay, not just our cost, but including a margin on top of that. So this is a struggle that I've been working, you know, trying, I've been trying to crack this problem for the last 10 years, uh, as a private sector you know, person working with the central bank and with Nadra, but I don't see a solution coming out, even though you know we got to a stage where the Nadra chairman came in a forum, the central bank governor said, this is something you want to do, went back to his board and they shot it down. So, you know, that's where we are right now. Nadra has used some of the equivalent of what you're saying. You know, when you're giving fertilizer subsidy, Nadra has played a very good part in the BISP payment plan, for example. This is one example where the government could use the BI, you know, the BISP plan for beneficiary identification. So this is the equivalent of the fertilizer subsidy coming on. But let's say if Angro or Fauji Fertilizer wanted to do a another verification, they would not be able to do except the manual 75 rupees of pop verification, but it doesn't work. Yeah. So that's where the difference arises that they only allow regulated entities. Why that's the case, I don't know. As long as they can create the security safeguards, anybody should be able to access the database to verify a certain individual, whether it's for a financial or non-financial transaction. I want to verify the two signatures on my agreement. I, I shouldn't have been forced to pay 75 rupees. 
I should be able to pay one rupee. I mean, if my database exists, I'm not finding out proprietary information. I'm just finding out that Nadeem Hussain says, you know, this is his CNIC number, this is his picture. Does that exist in the database or this is a fraudulent identity? That should be available to every citizen and that should be open to another and another should create security protocols and firewalls and whatever is required to preserve you know, the quality of their data. So hacking doesn't take place. Shouldn't be limited to financial institutions and that too only regulated by the central And bank. just to quickly interrupt there, I mean, just a thought came up in my mind as you described that identity verification, that would be perfect for a country like Pakistan where land records are a big issue and there is land parcels that are part of the black economy. If you mandate that all transactions have to be verified in real time by people through their biometric Nadra ID, you will almost instantaneously get a very good database of who owns land and who's transacting on these plots so that the state can then look at it and say who's paying how much taxes, right? And this, the system is there on the back and it's all about connecting it to the front end now, of the user. Yeah, they're moving towards that in the sense that they're requiring a CNIC for most financial transactions and certainly financial transactions above a limit so that they're starting to get this database. And we have dispersed databases. The issue with the land parcel, my view, would be you need to digitize the land records first because you're sitting on khatas. And if you digitize them first, then obviously the ownership or transactions. Right now, if I buy a house, I need to give my CNIC card and the seller needs to give the CNIC card. But nobody verifies them. We take a copy of the CNIC. And so if I have a fraudulent CNIC, I can give a copy of that. The verification isn't taking place because they're not enabled or allowed access to verify me real time. Yeah, and I think that's where the, the opportunity lies. So from your uh, perspective and vantage point, um, what are some of the other things that you see either trending in the right or wrong direction in this space to promote financial inclusion and the overall fintech ecosystem in the country? Because obviously there is growing interest from outside investors in Pakistan startup ecosystem writ large. FinTech around the world has been sort of a leader, particularly in the coronavirus pandemic age, where digital and touchless transactions have become more and more important. So what's your overall read in terms of where the ecosystem is heading and the opportunities in it? Coming back, before I get into that, what we need to enable ourselves to do is create more digital identifiers. So India has India Stacks. Your university degree is accessible to anybody subject to your consent. Your birth certificate is available as part of your stack. You can transfer money through UPI based in and using the India stack stuff. So there's nothing stopping Pakistan from creating Pakistan tax and putting these same level of identifiers into a digital locker. Based in Nadra, it already has a CNIC chip. The CNIC has a chip inside it. So they've asked people to pay for it, but the delivery hasn't taken place. Pakistan's tax would go a long way for digital identification and reduction of paperwork and you know for verification of degrees, birth certificates, later on property documents or health certificates. But let's come back, let's focus on the FinTech because that's you know the, the, the real focus of your conversation. So FinTech is developing and developing fast, but the volume that we are seeing is very, very low compared to what it can be like in a neighboring country. FinTech and Pakistan are driven by four, five streams, payments, lending, saving, 
information, okay, and I, I would include insurance in, in it as well. Remember, Pakistan is a cash society. We have 6.3 trillion or 20% of our GDP floating around in cash. Most transactions are done on cash. Digital transactions are, I would say, even less than 0.1% of where we are right now if we include all the physical cash transactions which are done. Why are cash transactions done versus physical transactions versus digital transactions? The biggest issue, the biggest use case typically in a country is digital acceptance of a payment at a mom and pop shop because that's the grocery in your hierarchy of monthly expenditure. Grocery comes right up there, followed by utilities, followed by rent, transportation, school fees. So as you start digitalizing the ability of the customer to make those payments digitally, you get more and more use cases in your mobile wallet. We have 50 million mobile wallets, but less than 10% are active. Active is defined as one transaction in 90 days, and that could be a airtime top-up. So it's not really a financial transaction. So while we have managed to create 50 million wallets, which is a great step in the right direction. We haven't created the correct use cases in them. Our biggest use case is airtime, followed by P2P payments, followed by utility bill payments, and then you know maybe some P2G payments. But the, what is India and why is Paytm worth 22 billion, $25 billion? Is because when they change the currency, they basically went to a rickshaw wala, they went to a thale wala and said, put up a QR code because there's no money available. You have to now be able to accept digital transactions if you want to survive. Now, yeah, I, I, was, I was in India last year and we went to a chai wala and I was short on cash. And he was like, sir, here a QR code, isko scan kar de and you can pay me. And I was like, oh. I'm not from India. I didn't have an Indian account and it was just seamless. I just paid straight to him. Yeah. So... The point is that that ecosystem of there are 1.6 million general Kiryana mom and pop stores and the total transaction a month on a QR or a post machine, that's a couple of 250,000 transactions, which is nothing. So the wallet providers are basically focusing on P2P payments, domestic remittance, utility bill payments, airtime payments. That ecosystem is still not created. And as a consequence, we are not seeing the adoption of digital at the bottom of the pyramid. So you have a segment of people who are now using apps. So I'm bu buying stuff from Daraz, I'll use a wallet. I'm making a utility bill payment, I'll use a wallet. So it's a segment of society, which is more tech savvy, but it hasn't flown down. What went down, because what EasyPesa started was over-the-counter remittance domestically. That was at the bottom of the pyramid. People didn't use the Easy Pesa account because the whole day thought it's for the poor people who are doing domestic remittance. And Easy Pesa and Jazz together probably moved 10% of Pakistan's GDP in a year, you know, on those P2P payments. So there has been progress. But it's largely driven by the payment stream, the lending and saving, and should I talk about is very little right now. But even in the payment stream, although we're seeing growth compared to what cash transactions are. I would say, forget 1%, less than 1% is digital. In most countries, the agenda for digital payments is driven by the government in many cases, where G2P and uh, the P2G payments 
are done the government encourages that so you know here we only have bisp some you know eo bi payments taking place and in punjab we seeing some p2g payments but the government can mandate that all salaries of their civil servants forget the minister we can include that everybody is going to be paid digitally into a bank account why there is the cash payment why is the check payment the government can mandate that central bank can mandate themselves but they are not doing so all challans should be paid digitally why not so that impetus is missing the kriyana store ecosystem is missing and therefore the payments which is taking place is taking place slowly and conversions are taking place the second thing is remember that unlike india and pakistan fintechs are long on innovation short on capital total amount of funding done by all fintechs combined i would say definitely less than 100 million dollars series b done by all startups in pakistan maybe two series b so we are doing basically pre seed and seed and pre seed and seed you know may you're lucky if you're hugely successful maybe you'll do a 5 million dollar round series a maybe you've done a 10 million dollar round that's peanuts if fintech cannot grow until it has you know 50 100 million dollars kind of money to play with to create the ecosystem so while we've seen people making a billion rupees of transactions in a month that's great because it was zero before but billion rupees is nothing so one of our problems is that we don't have fintechs have not got to the chicken and egg fintechs have not got to the volume where they can attract 10 20 30 40 million dollars and therefore they are light on capital and they haven't done real partnerships with banks to be able to and I'll come back to the challenges later on just to quickly so um, put things in perspective for the listener when you said a billion uh, rupees in transactions um india alone in october of this year uh, under the upi stack that you were referring to uh, the total amount of transactions was almost 51 billion dollars and again india is a larger country but even if you take into account a per capita transaction it is much 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 more than where pakistan is so oh, for the listener who doesn't know the comparison that it's it's just apples and oranges yeah so pakistan is going to probably launch the equivalent of upi called the micro payment gateway led by the state bank where all 34 banks are going to be part of this system and the bank is required within 6 seconds to be able to do a debit or credit so you will be able to pull money which doesn't exist right now except for four or five banks which are integrated with a particular payment provider and push money now that's going to be huge that's like then saying you know i can do a payment on whatsapp i can do a payment on messenger if somebody is using any messaging uh, you know uh, medium i can be able to pay on that now that's going to be a game changer in my view as far as you know payments are concerned pakistan from a regulatory perspective is also very placed very well placed they came up state bank came up with a regulation called emi electronic money you know institution i think something like that which allows a non financial institutions to have a wallet previously in order to get a pso payment service you know operator payment service provider psp license you had to be a financial institution so a fintech like a bikeya or a daraz or a uber who wanted to create a wallet couldn't do so but the central bank then gave them opportunity with a 2 million dollar license you can get the ami you know uh, license which allows you to have a open loop wallet so you can then put multiple use cases in your wallet money is in an escrow account with a bank because 
they can't take your fiduciary risk but for 2 million dollars you can obtain that so there are about 10 emi players which have recently you know been given these licenses so there's definite progress but if i put all of them together i still say that transactions they do visibly the transaction that commercial banks do is a fraction but it's starting to get there so you know let's say 5 years ago you know it was nothing now it's clearly getting in the right direction but look at fintech then you come into same into lending if you look at india there are probably 50 lenders digital lenders lending based on your smartphone lending to students lending to merchants lending to, uh, to build discount players so we have maybe five players doing this only in pakistan total consumer bank lending to number of people is less than 2 million people total number of data points in the credit bureaus less than 10 million most of our people are new to the industry merchant lending the sme lending was used to be 17% of total lending but now now down to 7% huge opportunity but in order to do this you need capital banks in pakistan are not going to drive it because their main earnings comes from investment in treasury bills and government securities so they have an invented since the earth cooled and not planning to they're not pushed fintechs want to do this but fintechs don't have the capital and in order to even partner with the bank you need to do enough piloting to show that your default rate is down to an extent where their bank is willing to share their balance sheet some people are coming up they're devising stuff you know maybe the total number of loans is half a million right now which is not bad but it's nothing because this is a 30 million people market out of 220 million at least 30 to 40 million can be eligible for digital lending so we are very very nascent as far as digital lending is concerned then you get into savings the official saving rate in pakistan as a percentage of gdp is a single digits 5 to 6% and banks trip over each other to get people's deposits coming in because their whole play is cheap deposits and use the arbitrage to lend to government securities which has no allocation of capital that's why banks in pakistan are hugely hugely profitable but they operate more like asset managers than like banks because the total number of lending they've done to customers is less than 2 million in a country of 220 million but pakistanis save but they don't want to save in bank accounts and uh, coming back you know in any of these tax getting caught in the tax net is a huge concern of both individuals and kiryana store owners so when you say i want to get the kiryana store owner into the digital net one of his concern is you know if i get into this net will i have cbr knocking at my fbr knocking on my door then i say you know where's your corporate income tax now so there's something that's a challenge pakistani saves i told you 6.2 trillion rupees in the system floating around they do committees which are roskas which are retorting saving around and you know everybody is doing that and the banks and often techs are looking to figure out a way to institutionalize that to the extent that it can you can create a platform where people instead of exchanging cash can still exchange money but through their wallets as opposed to cash and make it easier for them to do so as opposed to sit down now there are various kind of committees some of those committees are social committees so people want to be able to have tea and gossip they are not going to be part of this system but there are other parts which can hugely so we have an address the solutions from the customer lens we've addressed the solutions from the product lens of a provider like a commercial bank 
Pakistani save in gold. $25 million is the worth of gold imports every year. 99% is ornaments. Why can't we create a fractional gold product which allows them to save in gold for 100 rupees, transparent with the pricing, liquid so that it's a buy offer spread and secure because it's regulated. So now fintechs are starting to develop solutions which are looking at the customer lens and the customer journey. It takes a person which is new to the industry in Pakistan one month to get a credit card and typically 10 days to open a bank account if it's a normal level one bank account as to poor level zero bank account. This customer journey is really convoluted. You want to win the confidence. Many people have more trust in telcos than a bank. You know, because they buy airtime from telcos in advance. But they don't want to put the money in a bank. And and this is just insane. Like I moved to the United States as a student in 2007. No credit history, <clears throat> no bank account, no cell phone account. And day one, I went with three of my friends who were also students from abroad. We went to a telecom uh, shop and he was like, you need to have a credit card because you can't transact on cash to get a monthly recurring payment uh, account with your phone. And I was like, well, what do we do? He's like, there's a bank next door. Just go there. Within a three-hour cycle, we came out from the bank account with a bank account with no deposit, nothing. It was approved instantaneously. A temporary credit card that was a debit card, not a credit card, that was used at the next door phone shop to get a phone. And that was how this credit journey began. And it was just three hours. So I just find it insane that someone has to wait 10 days to a month to just enter the financial system in Pakistan. Um, so well, my question to you is, why is that the case? So what I'm saying is that's the case with commercial banks. So they are fintechs which will give you up to 5,000 rupees in under 10 minutes based on your smartphone data. If you're willing to share your smartphone data, they can approve between 1,000 and 5,000 rupees under a minute and push your money into a wallet if it exists under 10 minutes. So this is the new emerging ecosystem arising. A level zero account, unlike the US, can be opened in under a minute by just texting your CNIC card to a predefined number, star 786 hash, and then your CNIC number, and you can get a, a level zero account open in a minute. So we've got those, but the use cases on those are not built up. Now, in credit card, I agree with you because we don't have a scoring system. Now, when you went to the US, they gave you a debit card, not a credit card, because they couldn't find a score. You didn't have a FICO score. I told you in the credit bureau, we only have 10 million people. So we don't have, we only have data points on 10 million people. Pakistan is a country of 220 million people. We have a median age of 22, that 50% of people are under 22. You know, so now the opportunity exists for somebody to create a FICO score equivalent using alternative data points. Huge opportunity. If I can demonstrate that I have a credit score with reasonable default predictors, you know, I can be the utility and people are looking, you know, for the rest of the industry to come and check with me, you know, Mr. XYZ is not in the banking system, but does he have a credit score based on alternative scoring, which is smartphone data, utility bill data, e-commerce purchases. So you, those are all people who are doing that because e-commerce is 90% COD. You can capture that, but you need to be able to put all that system together. That's happening. What I'm saying is all that stuff is happening. So you have a huge dichotomy. You can take one month to open a credit card, get a credit card, or you can get it in 10 minutes. 
limit is low but you can get it you can take 1 minute or 2 minutes to open a bank account or you can take 8 to 10 days so we need to streamline the 8 to 10 day system to bring it down to an hour or or 10 minutes i was with a bank the other day and i said how long does it take you to open a you know individual bank account so we have to do pep you know because pakistan is under the fat of pay lift fat of pay lift so there is a big concern about the kyc aml and this said if you can come down to one day it's huge i said your ambition should be 10 minutes it should be minutes not hours not days and that is doable it's a question of how do you automate and link your nadra verification process or your pep verification process and you can be able you should be able to do it in 10 minutes it's doable because largely lot 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 of the ecosystem exists just haven't put the technology to do it and that's where the opportunity lies pakistan is a why people come to pakistan right now because this is so much disruption that can take place and there is scale that is available and the unit economics suggests that you can monetize this that's why if you look at people now they look at india the valuations are hitting sky high we are nowhere close to that you look at indonesia now the valuations are hitting sky high big country we are a huge country with the valuations are still in the very early stage so that's why we are starting to look at pakistan because they finding indonesia or india too pricey i'm not saying they're stopping there but at the seed level pakistan is a better play in my view because our valuations are low and the upside is huge if you get it right so from a, so let's talk a bit about the government perspective right because when we look at what the government can do to even catalyze let's say the growth of a credit scoring system you talked about it that start paying people digitally and then odds are that they may use those same wallets to do their utility bill payments to do their basic transactions on a day to day basis that builds a credit score um what are some other things where you think there is an opportunity for the government to lean in and do a bit more to accelerate this disruption that is taking place almost organically in the ecosystem right now so my view is the more the government stays out of this the better of we are because the government lens brings a very bureaucratic lens although this adoption digital accounts is a huge step previously pakistani diaspora outside pakistan if they wanted to open a bank account in pakistan had to be physically present if they wanted to invest in tbils if they invested in you know the au i mean you know asset management company they couldn't do so so the government you know there's a huge so this is i really recognize the government between the government you know and the state bank they come up with this they came up with this rational digital account where pakistani diaspora can now digitally open accounts with eight banks or six banks which have the first wave of banks electronically digitally so you can be sitting in bay in amsterdam new york wherever you are you can get onto the six banks and you can you need a cnic pakistani passport or nicop to determine that you are diaspora and then you can open an account electronically relatively short period of time you can scan and upload these documents fill in the account opening form electronically and then they've created whole use cases so that's a great step you know for this digital diaspora who have parents over here who you for whom you need to make utility bill payments or you want to invest in pakistan in the pakistan dollar based certificates which are 5 6% versus 0.5% outside so that's one of the examples where the government has done a great job if you look at the government's plan it has a great plan execution from the government side is very very slow 
I mean, there are many things on their plate. They talk about digital Pakistan, but the actual execution, where financial services is one part of digital Pakistan, there's ed tech, there's health tech, there's agri tech, all of that can be brought into this digital umbrella. It's slow, and you know, and, and, and in a country of 220 million, these things take time. But we are lucky to have two very progressive regulators, which is the State Bank of Pakistan and the SECP. Both of them are constantly coming up with enabling regulations which are assisting startups, whether it's a fintech startup, and the SECP now is a regulatory sandbox. They're talking about a digital insurance company license. They're talking about potentially equity crowdfunding, which we've been asking for a very long time. So those things are starting. So I'm very, very, you know, I've invested everything in Pakistan because I see this is where the big opportunity is. Now, there are challenges. Doesn't mean that, you know, you have a ennobling environment, you can immediately get going. But if you come in now, I think you have a huge opportunity to create serious valuation, social impact, and scale. So from a, uh, from a government or just an overall perspective, and this, I would like to conclude the conversation here as well. Um, one of the things that I always speak about is this idea that, you know, you had digital Pakistan and this idea of improving what is what I define as product Pakistan. And that comes with the brand Pakistan as well. It raises the profile of the country. So investors in Indonesia, India, where valuations are sky high, look towards Pakistan and say, well, there is a better opportunity. There are relatively better opportunity due to valuations. Um, but then you have moves that occur where apps are banned or where we recently saw the offices of jazz that were sealed. How do you see this dichotomy play out in terms of, you know, where the ecosystem is growing, but then other arms of the state take actions that sort of uh, create headwinds where you, in fact, they should be creating tailwinds for you guys. Totally agree. These are self-inflicted wounds. These are things that you couldn't know, you know, there's a Urdu share which says, Mera azm itna hai ke ka I'm not scared of people outside, you know, damaging me. It's my own, you know, within me at this point, I'm going to create all my damage. That means, you know, sealing Jazz's office while the CEO had met finance minister and the FBR chairman two days before. And before I even got back to his head office, you seal them and give them half an hour notice to pay up. $150 million. What was the message beyond me? Beyond me, what was the message? Immense damage in the private sector, immense damage globally. You know about it. 10 other people know about it. Jazz has invested $12 million in Pakistan, one of the highest taxpayer. Okay, if they haven't paid, figure a way out. Okay, and it's a disputed interpretation of something. So there's a better way than sealing the system. That hasn't led to Jazz paying the money immediately. They're still disputing it. They're still in court. So what was the purpose? So these are self-inflicted wounds. You know, I don't know what the motivation was. Banning TikTok. TikTok has 24 million users. And they have 150 people curating the content. It's not a live upload. It goes through the content curation. So anything which is suggestive or beyond that gets, you know, taken out. So why ban something? And that also for eight days. Again, you know, YouTube was banned for three years. I don't know what word was, but YouTube has content which you know you can dispute. You know, which are, which are seriously against the value that we had. You know, when they were talking about jokes with the you know uh, Prophet Muhammad and other things. But TikTok doesn't do any of that. So these are self-inflicted wounds. Don't know what the motivations are. 
they get corrected and then all you've done is put a red flag up that this is an inconsistent policy and this could happen to anybody if it could happen to jazz can happen to anybody it can happen to tiktok which is owned by the Ch chinese company which is pakistan's closest you know friend as far as countries goes it could happen to anybody so you just create uncertainty and the two steps you've taken forward you take three steps back but despite all that i think there's still huge opportunity that's you know things when you're in emerging market things like this happen i mean in india the terranol license got cancelled they lost 10 billion i don't know how many billions of dollars because they said the sequence with which you come through that was tainted so things like that happen uh, in emerging markets and you're going to take them in your stride you wish they didn't happen but they will happen and that's part of your business planning is that something like that may happen but i can still scale i can still get impact i can still create a huge valuation last question for you in the next let's say 3 to 4 years um we've talked about use cases and having use cases designed from the consumer's perspective what's a use case that you would like to see in pakistan 3 years from now that would you know give you sort of the satisfaction of saying pakistan's fintech ecosystem has come a long way where a huge consumer need is now being met that was not being met at this point in time i want to three three big use cases i want to be able to see companies provide a 100 to 50 dollar loan under 1 minute using alternative data scores instantly to a person who's not in the formal financial system being done all over the world we can do it here that will result to him being part of the financial system and creating a credit history can be done for me if we have 10 20 million customers who receive money like that huge i want to see saving apps because pakistan the saving that's taking place is outside the banking system whether it's a committee solution or fractional gold solution or fractional animal husbandry solution i want to see solutions like that we start bringing the bulk of pakistanis in the financial system because you're creating solution they create their needs i want to see open banking in pakistan regulations so that the data that resides with telcos and banks who are repositories of this data not the owners of this data made available on customer consent to a third party so they can use their data to enable the first two things i talked about if we can see those things i think we are going to be see serious traction financial inclusion the numbers we're talking about this 2 million lending number could be a 20 million lending number the saving numbers could be 50 million people just when you say you know 25 30 40% of the population have been driven by fintech that's when you get unicorns that's when you get people who say okay this is a country where you can get serious valuations happening it's not the way we are right now but we in the right direction but we're not there yet i think those would be fascinating solutions nadeem saab because you know from a macro i'll sort of zoom out from your perspective uh, as well if you achieve those outcomes and you formalize the economy and financial services in the economy and bring the bulk of your population into the system you can actually start meeting pakistan's investment needs through domestic savings which has been a major major issue for the country which is why we continue to have current account deficits and then lead pakistan to go to the imf or to the chinese or to the saudi arabians for loans and if you bring pakistani savings into the system then those savings can be deployed to meet the investment needs of pakistanis themselves through their own money and i think that would Remember, be transformative for the economy 
absolutely banks as you know have a multiplier effect you bring in 1 rupee you can lend 3 rupees so you not only start taking care of the funding needs where you don't have to borrow but you also can start lending lot more so the bank's ability to lend changes and this is money which is in the system in the system so it's really an issue of how do you bring that in from a customer lens make do what the customer wants not another checking account with three three you know checkbooks and four free transactions at the atm and another half percent uptake on a saving rate that's not what your bulk customer wants okay thank you very much pleasure talking thank, to thank you thank you so much this was great I appreciate you taking out the time and we'll be in touch thank you have a great rest of the day cheers the office